Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of The Infertile Diagnosis. I'm your host, Monica Cox, and welcome back to another episode of The Infertile Diagnosis. On this episode of The Infertile Diagnosis, we have a special guest, Melissa from Power. Now, Melissa has endometriosis, and for many years, she just dealt with it with surgeries, painkillers, and hormone treatment. Melissa was finally fed up with this lifestyle, and luckily there was people around now talking about how diet and lifestyle can have a huge impact on your health, including endometriosis. Now, we all know this is not a curable disease, But what we do know now is that you can manage your symptoms through diet and lifestyle. And Melissa is an amazing example for this. She now runs an online course using her REACH technique. She's empowering women to reach beyond endometriosis by using a holistic approach. I truly love Melissa's story and how she is a shining example, how you can take control of your health, be your own hero, and thrive even if you have a condition like endometriosis. I had the pleasure of meeting Melissa when I was back in New Zealand a few weeks ago, and she is truly on a mission to inspire and help every woman out there who is ready to take control of their endometriosis symptoms. So without further ado, here's Melissa. Hello and welcome back to the Infertile Diagnosis. Today we have on Melissa, who is it okay if I call you an endometriosis expert? Sure, yeah. (laughs) So um, tell us a little bit about um, your diet, your lifestyle, who you were in your younger years. So I began my journey um, with endometriosis at 19 years of age. I basically developed instant pain when I got my period at roughly 13 years of age and just thought that was normal, um, as many women with endometriosis do. And you go through life thinking that period pain and kind of abdominal pain is just part of being a woman and um, in a way I was fortunate in that I actually developed a bladder infection when I was 19 and they gave me antibiotics for the bladder infection and then the pain afterwards never actually went away so that made me kind of dig in a little bit deeper and try and figure out what was going on and that's when they discovered the endometriosis. So some women take up to 10 years to get a diagnosis, but I was quite fortunate in that I got my diagnosis very early. Unfortunately, that also meant that I went down a very long journey with following the conventional approaches for endometriosis. So I went through seven surgeries. I took every hormone treatment they could think of (laughs) i stuck things in my arm i think you know i stuck things i took the pill for seven years i literally tried you know everything things up my nose you name it i tried it and um yeah none of it really offered me the relief and so that's when i went on a mission to try and figure this out on my own because i really thought i'd exhausted all my options in terms of that and i was still living on painkillers so it wasn't really helping me 
Yeah. And the doctors obviously didn't have any good advice. I mean, was there not anyone out there? They offered symptom relief. And generally, that's what most doctors tend to focus on. So you go in, you say, I have pain, you get a painkiller. You know, you have endometriosis, they will try and stop the growths of the endometriosis, but they don't really look at or potentially understand what triggers the growth, so why they're there or how to reduce those growths from happening. So it's very much a symptom control type of approach, which is okay, you know, I mean, that's generally what what we expect. Um, But yeah, I didn't feel that even that was helping me enough. I felt like I was still in pain. And, you know, I remember actually, um, when I went in to see my gynae, he gave me something called Cynaral, which is a, it's a brand name, but essentially it's, it was something that you squirted up your nose and it stopped the pituitary gland from fully functioning. So essentially it was stopping, you know, ovulation and and the things that um, would trigger the endometriosis from growing was having too much estrogen. So that was kind of the, the idea behind that. And I remember not having any pain during that six month period and absolutely loving this stuff that I was squirting up my nose. Um, but when I got to the end of the six months, my gynae said to me, look, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to come off that now because, you know, it's, it's been six months. And I remember begging him and saying, look, please, this is the only thing that's really helped me. Please, can you, you know, maintain this for me? And he said, look, I can, but you would be risking um, your bone health. And this may lead to osteoporosis later in life. And to be honest, it was such a shock at the time because I wasn't somebody who read the little fine print on (laughs) all the things that I was given. I literally just trusted my doctor and trusted whatever they said. I was, you know, young, I was in, you know, my early twenties, didn't even question that they wouldn't necessarily look at my whole body and the consequences of all these treatments. And so that was sort of my first inclination that, hey, there's actually always going to be side effects to a lot of these treatments. And depending on how much you're prepared to put up with is, you know, kind of the the give and take of that, you know. So yes, you can take painkillers, but they might interfere with your digestive health. And, you know, yes, you can take these hormone treatments, but they might interfere with your bone health or your mental health or any number of other factors because estrogen and progesterone are all those wonderful hormones. They don't just focus on your ovaries. They actually have a lot of other jobs in the body. And you know, like just shutting them down, we actually don't know what effects they're going to have on us long-term. So um, yeah, and that was my first kind of, ooh, this is interesting um, kind of moment. Yeah. Um, And I think um, it's funny. I'm just getting this flashback um, on TV. So I'm originally from America, but I lived over in the UK for 14 years. You being from South Africa and living in New Zealand. Outside of America, you don't really get this, but in America on their commercials for any of these um, medications for endometriosis or migraines or whatever. I mean, half of the commercial is the list of side effects that these medications are going to give you. And um, I mean, this has been, I mean, I remember it happening when I was younger 
I was 22 when I moved away and now I'm, you know, 30, almost 38. And I'm sitting there now with a new head on my shoulders going, who the fuck would take this? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I all, you know, like there's gotta be a better way, right? There's gotta be a better way. But yeah, I mean, we do, we go into our doctor's office and we trust them and, and we should be able to trust them. And, and, and I think we, sh- we can trust them because they are only doing, I would hope, the best that they know yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I, you know, I actually went through quite a few years of almost being quite angry with, with the system and sort of feeling quite let down. Um, but then I realized, well, it's just a different approach. It's, it's not looking at the body holistically. It's, it's looking at, well, here's a problem here's a solution it's and it's you know and it's interesting because for the first few years when I started to approach my body naturally I took the same approach you know it was very much oh I have a hormone problem well I don't want to take synthetic stuff so let me try and find a natural version and so I was applying the same concepts thinking that it would work (laughs) you know so 100% I I was like oh well my hormones are out of whack I'll find a natural option for that instead um And then wondering why it didn't work, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's just not the same thing. You cannot take a natural product and expect it to replace that because it, the mechanisms in the body and the processes that happen with a natural approach are completely different. Yes. Um, you know, like women write to me and they say, I've been taking the, the curcumin turmeric that you suggested for my pain and it's still sore. And I go, well, how long have you been taking it? Oh, two weeks and it doesn't work. <laughs> You know, and it's sort of funny because it's just not the same mechanism. You know, when you take a painkiller, you're literally cutting that response from the brain to the abdomen or wherever it is in the body and just literally chopping that communication saying, don't send me pain message. Mm -hmm. But when you're taking something like curcumin, you're actually addressing the inflammation in the body. And that can take a lot longer. And there's lots of other factors that cause inflammation. And it's not as simple as just, oh, let's just cut that mechanism, you know, because as you and I know, inflammation is something that is throughout the whole body. And, you know, generally it starts with your digestive system. And if you're, you've been taking painkillers for so long, chances are you've probably messed that up <laughs> in that journey. <laughs> You're literally like talking about my life right now. So one of my, I guess my only really huge big symptom that I ever had and has nothing to do with fertility or your uterus, I had signs of an ulcer. They never diagnosed it properly. But um, I dealt with it for about seven years and it would flare up at any given time. And it was like, you know, like I had to go lay down, have a glass of milk. And that was that. And um, I was talking to a friend and she went, yeah, I can't take ibuprofen. It really messes with my stomach. And I was like, oh shit, man, I pop like five a day. Maybe that's my issue. And I stopped taking ibuprofen. And I mean, it's still there. I did some um, pretty hardcore damage, but it doesn't flare up you know, nearly as much if I'm stressed or if I have a high dose of caffeine, I get it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Over the counter pain medication can really fuck you up. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time. Um, interestingly, I found um, uh, what actually helps quite a lot is licorice um, chewable tablets, the, the actual real licorice, not, you know, something you buy at the store, but like real licorice chewable tablets, because it's that uh, mucilaginic that you're trying to protect the stomach lining mm-hmm. and um, cabbage juice. 
Okay. Really effective. So yeah, if you if you ever having to take like, as I've done that a few times, you know, where you're like got a severe headache and you're just like, I just can't deal with this today. I have to take something and then just like, oh, by gosh, I shouldn't have taken that because now my tummy hurts and it's just like this vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, so I found that really, really helps um, just to to ease that that swelling. It's essentially, it's you know, too much acid buildup yes. and from those and and because that's you know there's no protection around the stomach lining um, or not enough that's when yeah you get the issues so yeah yeah. so for you and your story um you're sat at the doctor's office you are now faced with uh bone issues from this medication and that's your brain's going okay something's wrong um was that the final straw or did you kind of take a few more years to (laughs) quite a few more years unfortunately i I think there was this disconnect, um, you know, for women who maybe have been through surgeries, I think at some point you, you almost disconnect with your body. Like it's, I don't want to know what's going on down there. And, and maybe it's also because when you have surgery, you're under, you, you're not there. You're not, you know, you're not processing that on in a real life scenario. You're not conscious. So it's very difficult to then comprehend well somebody's been in there and they've been doing a whole lot of stuff in there and I have no idea what they've really been doing you know whereas if you had like cut yourself or something your brain can comprehend that it's like oh okay I cut my foot I can see the cut it's it hurts I get what I did there but I think with surgery when especially when it's you know repeatedly um, there's just this disconnect and that was the case for me I just felt like it wasn't me, it wasn't my body, it was this other part of my body, but I didn't even really want to look at it. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I just just didn't want to confront it at all. I was just like, just make the pain stop. I don't really care what, it, whatever. I just, just make the pain go away. And I landed up going on the pill for about seven years, which did alleviate the pain to some degree. Um, I still couldn't have kind of deep penetrative sex like that still hurt and that was kind of the sign to me that this still wasn't you know because I wanted it to be like the cure or you know the solution like I just because it was so much easier than hey I could you know I need to stop drinking and I need to change my diet and I need to look at my you know emotional well-being and all that stuff was like way too complicated in your 20s you know I was just like forget it you know I was partying I was in London you know having a big old rave and you know I was like not interested in, in doing any of that at all you know I mean it was just not the thing to do I mean we lived on pizza and pasta and you know you don't have a lot of money so it's you know do whatever and literally had parties four nights a week and that was my life. So I just didn't want to confront it. And so, yeah, I went through my whole twenties and, you know, had the surgery every year and a half. That was just my routine. I was like, Oh, well, this is part of the condition. I just go in for surgery every year and a half. <laughs> that was kind of my thinking. I, you know, I didn't really question it. And um, it was only actually at the last surgery where I felt, absolutely terrible there was nobody there like my family had gone oh well you know, it's just another surgery like I just whatever and so I was on my own I felt incredibly emotional I just the antibiotics hadn't agreed with me so I had you know really severe 
reaction from that. So I was literally throwing up, runny bottom, the whole lot at the same time trying to heal. You know, I mean, if you've had abdominal surgery, it is sore, (laughs) it's painful. And all that kind of reaction is not helping. (laughs) And I remember just sitting there on the, on the floor in the bathroom and just crying and just going, this is not living. This is just not worth it. And that was sort of the first inclination it still wasn't the final straw that was still me just thinking this was my fate believing this was my life um you know one of the terms that i hear thrown around a lot within the inner community is i'm an endo sufferer and that was the label that i stuck to and clung to in a way i think a part of me quite liked being the victim quite liked being able to get out of things if I didn't want to do them or, you know, oh, I have a shitty job because I have endo. I don't have to take on the full on stress of these bigger things in life that I actually secretly want to do, but I'm too scared to, you know? So I think a part of me used it as a, as a cop out, as a way to get out of stuff. Um, It was only when I moved to Australia, (laughs) I kind of started to go, okay, something's got to shift and a lot of it had to do with actually emotional connections that I started to make so recognizing that I had a lot of guilt around a brother that my we had a a, my family had and he died when I was quite young Um, I was six at the time and I blamed myself as the six-year-old, you know, so in my six-year-old brain, I blamed myself for his death. That I had absolutely no way I could have caused the death, but it was in my six-year-old brain, I believed that I hadn't prayed hard enough for him to live. And so um, I carried that guilt with me for my whole life, but I'd never recognized this until I started to look at sort of the, the emotional side of, of myself and it was really interesting because once I started looking at that is when a lot of the pain went away. And so that's why a big part of what I do when I work with clients is look at the emotional component of how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive things that have happened to us, all of that stuff, because it's a big, big part of pain in the body. You know, guilt and pain is generally quite closely associated. Um, so yeah, and that was sort of the first inkling. And then I met my husband and he sort of noticed these weird trends that I would do. Like I would get diarrhea and then I'd take something for the diarrhea and then I would get constipation and then I'd take something for the constipation <laughs> and then I'd get, oh, then I'd get a headache and I'd take something for that. And then my tummy would hurt. So then I'd take something for that. And it was just this, literally my handbag was just full of different drugs for different things. And he sort of questioned that. He was like, body is trying to expel something or you know there's something that needs to happen here maybe there's some you know parasite or you know something going on um and then i was also living on painkillers as you you know described literally taking them every day like this is just normal i you know didn't think anything of it and um i remember getting so bad that i couldn't actually go to the same pharmacies because they would question why am I back again for another 48 pack of <laughs> Europhin, you know? And they would say, um, yeah, no, sorry, Melissa, I'm sorry, but we can't actually give you any more of that. Like you've already, you know, had enough of those. And then I'd literally go to different pharmacies so that I could get my dose, you know, like that's how bad it was. 
Um, and once again, my point, my husband sort of pointed this out saying, um, it's not quite normal. Like you might want to kind of look at that. I mean, he was very gentle about it. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like he kind of confronted me or anything, but yeah. And that's when, and then when we moved to New Zealand is really when I started and I just decided that, no, this isn't, this isn't cool. Um, and got a lot of sort of inspiration from, at the time it was David Wolf. I mean, you know, he was kind of the, the guy at the time and Chris Carr and, you know, all these kind of people and sort of went, okay, um, let's see if I can figure out a way to, to heal myself. And initially I had a blog and I called it Cure Endometriosis. That was my mission. And um, I, I had no examples of anyone who'd achieved this, you know, so to me it was like this far reaching goal and, um, I remember just feeling a number of times like, who am I kidding? This is impossible. And, you know, really, really feeling quite broken in my body and, and really feeling like I was pushing and pushing and struggling the whole time, you know, so I would do lots of things. I mean, I shifted my diet dramatically. I, you know, would, um, t took up yoga, did all these things, you know, but it was kind of like a checklist like all these things, I've got to do all these things. If I do all these things, then I'll be good, you know? And if I veered off slightly, then suddenly the pain would come back and I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I haven't been good enough. I haven't been good enough, you know? And it's almost like this ironic stress state, <laughs> you know, the perfectionist person. Like, huh? That doesn't quite work. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I just recently wrote a blog post about this. Um, and it's so weird how interest like different people have different perspectives of things, you know, and it's basically that blog post is talking about um, kind of unveiling this need for perfectionism and this need to be this perfect health person and how we, the driver of that is actually contributing to ill health, which is yeah. sort of ironic, um, you know, and it's interesting because people perceive it so weirdly sometimes you're going huh like how did you get that out of it but anyway yeah uh, i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna make you step back because i think what you said about holding on to that guilt from your six-year-old i think a lot of us do that without even knowing and um i know for me um my mom had a hysterectomy at 31 so in my head i just thought i'm gonna really struggle to have kids and I put that in my head and there was no signs that I was going to struggle. I didn't have the same issues my mom was having. But when we started to try, I wasn't really surprised that I wasn't getting pregnant because I knew I wasn't, you know, I had put that into my head. But then on top of that, I feel like I was so insecure with myself as well and didn't realize it that I wasn't able to give myself permission to love myself mentally and physically. So I was beating myself up with drinking and, um, you know, taking the pain kills and just eating shitty food. And none of this, all this was normal. I wasn't extreme, like, like a, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't going to McDonald's every day, which is all normal eating. But in reality, I think I spent a lot of years punishing myself and not, you know, having enough courage or enough emotion or enough um you know whatever you need to actually look at yourself and go this isn't your fault this is your guilt that you're taking on this insecurity that you have 
you know, getting over that or realizing you have it in the first place and then working on it um, is a really big um, step in any journey. Uh, but especially with infertility, because when you be, when you realize you're infertile, then that shit just gets piled onto you, right? Yeah, so you have all yeah. your other emotional stuff, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm broken, you know, like I, I can't get pregnant, you know, this is, you know. But um, yeah, just for you, releasing that, was that like your very first step of kind of knowing that you had a long journey to go? When you realized that you had this guilt, was it like a really big thing? Like a, like a, like, ah, oh, this amazing? Or was it like, oh, wow, this is something I need to work on? No, it was quite a big thing. I hadn't even died, but I didn't particularly remember anything around that. You know, it was only through doing this emotional work that it kind of came up and I kind of went, Oh, wow. That's because it was huge. I mean, for me, it was huge because one of the things that came out of it was um, this belief that I wasn't enough. And, you know, I think a lot of us carry that. But for me, it came from if I'd only prayed enough, then he may have lived. And then I felt this huge guilt because it affected obviously the whole family. And then I was trying to be the good daughter for my mom. And so it was this constant kind of trying to make my mom happy. And she was obviously very, you know, she became quite withdrawn from, from having lost her son, you know, and so I blame myself for that. And so I was constantly trying to be this good enough daughter. And so this, I'm not enough message became very, very loud, you know, and I actually, I took that across the board, all right, to, you know, bosses and, and boyfriends and friends and you name it, everybody, you know, I was not enough. I always had to do more. I had to, you know, give more. And it wasn't me, myself was not enough. Like I had this belief that just being present wasn't enough. I had to prove myself in some way or give in some way or, you know, I don't know. And so it was very difficult to even with um, jobs, you know, I, I, my first job, I was working in advertising. And I remember sort of having a colleague who was pretty much on the same level as me. We were both kind of came into the company at the same time. And I remember working like ridiculous hours. Like I would get there really early and I'll work really late and I'd be like always like doing and doing and doing. And she didn't. And yet she got promoted before I did, you know, and I couldn't figure this out. Like it really frustrated me. And it was because I had this thing of not being enough. And so I would be so stressed out that I was just constantly, you know, this push, 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 push. And so because I was so stressed out, I didn't handle clients very well. You know, I was always just like, yes, but blah, 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 you know, and she would be all calm and the clients would totally love her and she would secure more clients because she was so calm with the other clients. And, you know, and so it was sort of this ironic thing that I was pushing so hard and yet, exactly what I was doing was counterintuitive to actually getting what I really wanted. And so that's another sort of sign that I had that, okay, this, this not being enough thing is actually not a positive at all. Like, cause for a long time I clung to that. I'm a perfectionist. I am, you know, I do more than everybody else and all this crap, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And what, and what did you do? What, um, what tool or who did you see to get this emotional stuff? Oh. Um, at the time it was kind of um, like EFT it was sort of emotional freedom technique but it was they combined it with other tools so it was it's sort of hard to explain but it was like basically they looked at your energy 
mm-hmm. your energy field and kind of assessed whether there was a heaviness around that and just kind of made you look at things and, and really just feel the full emotion. So in this scenario, they were like, well, just feel the full emotion of the pain that's in your body yeah, and let whatever comes up, come up. And so, I mean, it was intense. I wouldn't say it was an easy process. Um, you know, it was literally a weekend that you went, this was in Sydney and you went away for the weekend and you literally just sat there feeling your pain. I mean, literally I felt like I was crying for two days, you know, (laughs) the whole thing, you know, but through that, this vision came up with my brother and, and, and all of that. And, and then when I freed that from the body, it was just, I felt like a completely different person, Mm. you know, and it was weird because after that, I really struggled to work for other people. Because I didn't have this need to, to please any in a way, you know. Yeah, exactly. And like <laughs> I said before, I don't know if I got cut out and the connection's not great. But um, yeah, I think when you start dealing with infertility, all those emotions that you have from your past, whether you know or you don't know, the infertility just goes on top of it. And- oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Because there is, there is a lot of um, this feeling around being broken. Yeah, you know, a lot of women have this feeling of, well, if I can't produce, then my body's broken. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, and then you get into the whole area of a man being with your husband, you know, are you enough of a woman? Because, you know, like in cases with endometriosis, women have a lot of pain. So some of them have so, so much pain having sex in certain positions is impossible, you know, and so then they start to feel a lot of that and guilt around giving enough to their husband or partner. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of statistics also around one with endo having sexual abuse in their history, you know, just, I mean, that makes logical sense um, that there would be kind of that, not to say all women with endo have that, but it's, it's interesting to see these correlations, um, you know, like I, I always notice correlations with we found that if there is a lot of anxiety or pain around a mother figure or a, a strong woman figure in your life, it tends to settle on the left side of the body. Whereas um, if it's more on the right, it tends to be more of a male figure, you know? So it's, it's always interesting because whenever I bring this up with my clients, they're like, Oh my God. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> so it's quite funny when wow. you notice these connections and yeah. you know, so when people say there's no emotional tie to put, I said, no, there is definitely an emotional tie here. And you're just too scared to look at it, to be honest. You know, um, anxiety's through the roof. And, um, you know, to the point where, like, I'll recommend something to them, to, to a herb or whatever, and they will spend, you know, two days researching it and then come back to me and say, oh, no, 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 but the herb says that it could have this reaction in the body. And I'm just like, chill out. Like, seriously then you know that that's what's actually contributing to poor health is because you're in this constant sympathetic nervous system response it's like the fight or flight and you're in that constant state you ain't gonna heal you know and it's so hard like when you're in the depths of infertility you know we get you know the community gets really annoyed with people saying just relax or stop worrying or just let it happen and um you know it is the case. We do have to take a step back and stop hyper-focusing on maybe all the negative that's going on in our life or um, the time, you know, all the timing or whatnot and put that focus on 
um, just better issues. You know, if you want to think about having a baby, then visualize your being pregnant and having a baby. Um, so yeah, it's, it's this weird kind of, um, thing that we up and down with, like, we can't stop thinking about it, but we know we need to, but, um, it's just putting your focus somewhere else, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I often say to women, you know, who are trying to get pregnant, why don't we take that that energy that you have, that, that new, you know, that wanting to look after something and put it into something else, you know, join a charity, um, do something for kids in your local area, you know, it doesn't really matter, but, you know, or just get a pet even, you know, something else to, to give you that desire to be fulfilled because that's the desire that nurturing desire that, that we have as women. Um, I mean, yeah, and, and, and it is about shifting that constant chitter-chatter, you know, waking up in the morning with this constant, I'm broken, I'm not getting pregnant, I'm never going to have children, all of that stuff is not helping. No. It's just straight down to your body going, okay, sure, that's what you wanted, <laughs> you know, so actually shifting that. And so working on things like gratitude, looking at, okay, in what way is my body amazing? In what way am I amazing? What am I offering to the world? as I am right now, how is my life fantastic as it is right now, rather than this, oh, my life will only be perfect once I have a baby. You know, this kind of mindset, and I think a lot of women do that. It's like, oh, my life will only be perfect once I have a baby. And what I find really sad is oftentimes with endometriosis, there's this huge thing because women get told, I mean, I got told this, your chances of getting pregnant are very, very low. So you better hurry up because, you know, you, you, every year that passes, it's going to get harder and harder. And so there's that pressure there. Um, plus, of course, it's this, their body isn't necessarily physically ready to have a child, you know. So you see these cases of women having IVF treatments and, you know, forcing the issue when what the body really needs is to heal. And, you know, it's, it's about getting rid of toxins in the body and instead of pumping the body body full of synthetic hormones you know i mean through the roof you know kids with food sensitivities through the roof all of these things and it's a lot to do with what's in the mom you know what are we what are we carrying around that we're passing on to that kid and you know so i really encourage women to do because in our program we have a big detox section i really encourage women to do that first before they even try and have kids because you're giving your child a much better chance in life if it's it's not pumped full of dioxin issues are going on, you know, what parasites are in your gut or whatever, um, you know. So that's sort of where I prefer to, to focus initially is getting, getting all of that stuff sorted. Um, and it generally makes for an easier pregnancy and a happier child. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, those issues are like for a whole other podcast. I mean, we can, yeah, go off on that. But um, yeah, it's super important to just really step back and look at yourself first. You know, you've got, you know, unhealthy people have babies all the time. It doesn't make it right. So Mm -hmm. if you are, you know, infertility is a symptom of you not being healthy, you know, women with endometriosis can have children. That's, that's not, you know, but it's, it's yeah it's your body has a very good way of saying 
I don't want you to have a baby right now. (laughs) And I have an IVF baby and I tricked my body into getting pregnant and I have a natural pregnancy as well. And um, so I know both ends of it. I know how hard it is to just want to be pregnant and just get there and skip the, you know, the necessary steps that you need to um, have. You don't need to, I don't want to say you need to, but you know, it's a, it's a very different approach. Yeah. Approach. Yes. Mm, mm. Um, and like I said, it's a four different podcast, but epigenetics, it's a real thing you know, and it is going to be a common thing in the next 10 years. And I think a lot of people are going to go, whoa, that that's huge. Mm. Um, let's take a step back because we are uh, all about you and your journey on this uh, episode. But um, so you figured out you needed to make some big changes. Like me, probably you just went and searched everywhere. Luckily, there was some amazing people out there talking about diet, lifestyle, mindset and how those can all have a huge impact was it hard was the struggle real making those connections and actually living a new life right and becoming a new person I actually didn't find it that hard to begin with um it was interesting because I'm very much once I make a decision then I'm fine it was getting to that decision that was the hard part um I find that um for me it was very much okay I'm doing this thing. And then I literally would just try whatever, you know, whatever came my way. You know, I actually had this statement that I would say to myself, I'm being guided towards my next step. And I literally would say this every day because it's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. And there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of different people saying different things and sometimes it contradicts itself. And so, you know, you can get to a point where you're like, I just don't know what to do anymore, you know. Um, but I literally would say that and it would help me quite a lot in terms of going, okay, which direction do I want to go with, this? you know, just eat healthy or do I want to look at my emotional stuff now, you know, and sometimes we're not ready, you know, sometimes it's looking at yourself and looking at what's going on emotionally and, and all that chitter chatter that's going on isn't necessarily where you are right now you might be at a point where like I can't even I can't even eat right you know like that's sort of and that's why our process is we start with it's interesting because once you start eating healthier you feel better you have more energy you have more mental clarity and so then when it gets to the point where you are ready to look at the mind stuff you're stronger in yourself already and you you feel like you've already made some headway, you know? So for me, I kind of went through the diet side first and I really was quite disciplined. I mean, uh, you know, type A personality, you know, went all the way, no sugar at all. I mean, now I'm a lot more lax, you know, it's like, yeah, but I was like, no sugar, no vegetable oils at all. Like, no, you know, if it had canola oil in the lean ingredients, I didn't need it. You know, like it was just, I was super, super strict about it. And then I incorporated yoga and I did feel quite a significant shift. Um, but then it was sort of looking more at the mind body stuff, um, coming back to loving yourself, which was a huge, huge part for me. And then looking at, okay, what toxins are in the body? Because I mean, there's kind of, I look at with, with endometriosis, there seems to be this huge kind of imbalance. So not enough nutrients coming into the body 
and some kind of heavy toxin load. And um, when I say toxin, it can be broad. I mean, it could be, you know, parasites, bacteria overgrowth. I place those under toxins because they all release toxins into the body. Um, but that's basically what we work on. So actually correcting that. So getting your nutritional balance back is, is called cell saturation. Is we don't go, oh, well, stick to this diet and you'll be healed. It's really, what does your body need? Let's provide your body with the tools that it needs. And it'll sort itself out. Like it knows what it's doing. It's not silly. You know, actually trusting in nature and trusting in your body that it can heal. Um, and that's kind of the goal. Um, so that's what I did. I basically gave my body every single tool that looked at, you know, how stress was affecting me, shifted what I did for a living, like literally, you know, just everything was about making sure that my body was in the best possible, possible environment to heal. And so, yeah, it was, it was quite a big journey. Um, but you know, I'm now at a point where I don't have pain. I can live a normal life. I can go away with my husband and, you know, it's not, not a factor. And so that's why I want more women to know that there is a way forward because unfortunately there's a lot of negative stigma around endo and, you know, women just believing that this is their fate as, as I did and more and more women who are doing this naturally and who are getting better outcomes, you know, so yeah. And I think with your guidance and, you know, um, there's so much more knowledge out there now, it's not going to take as long. You know, I had a nine year infertility journey only because four years I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I was just led by the medical world and them telling me there's nothing you can do. We don't know what's wrong. You're perfectly fine. You know, you can't improve your situation after our first IVF, um, showed that we had, bad embryo quality. Um, so I think now for a lot of women, it's not going to be as hard. You know, you still have to do it. It's you doing it is hard. You doing your emotional and physical stuff is your own battles, but you're not going to be searching out for all the answers because we've done that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah having somebody there that you can lean on, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that, you know, I literally went on it on my own and I went, okay, cool. I can see Chris Carr's doing well. Cause she, she had a diagnosis of cancer and, and obviously that's whatever she's doing is working for her. So I always had these, these kind of examples of people who had overcome other stuff. Yeah. Never had anyone who'd specifically addressed endometriosis. And that's sort of, well, it's quite scary, you know, at times because you know, I'd do a cleanse or something and I'd, I'd be like completely like I did a liver flush, which, you know, it's horrendous. It really is quite taxing on the body and thinking that this would be my cure-all, you know, this would solve all my problems and actually feeling quite sufficiently worse for doing it and don't have to struggle and suffer and, you know, be in a position where they're actually putting their body under more pressure and more harm and raising cortisol and more of that stress response which isn't positive you know so yeah exactly um so we talk about hindsight being a bitch with all your knowledge what you've experienced what would be your one tip for anyone dealing with infertility and endometriosis um at the same time um i think the biggest thing is to shift your mindset so instead of looking at it is 
I'm broken. There's all these things wrong with me. Now I have to change my diet. I have to do yoga. I have to do these cleanses and I have to look at my mindset. Okay, my body has sent me this message that something's not quite working. It's time for me to actually look at my my health, look at myself and, and nurture myself, look after myself. So, you know, look at it as a little child that's looking for attention, looking for love and it's way of asking you imbalances or infertility or whatever it is and saying, Hey, pay attention. I need some help here and actually stopping and going, okay, what does my body need? How can I love my body? How can I love myself? And, you know, so it's, it's really nurturing from choices can you make in terms of your food that really support your body? You know, how can you move your body in a way that supports you, you know, rather than this pushing scenario of I've got to go running because that's what I've been told is what's exercise. How does that really support you? How is that really what you need right now? And in some cases, I mean, generally I've got fertility issues just because it is quite high sort of cortisol driven generally it releases a lot of cortisol so I tend to recommend women do something more gentle and more present you know so really becoming in tune with your body and how your body feels and kind of loving on your body you know like I found for me yoga is a very spiritual practice of actually becoming very aware of your body, you know, and, and looking at your toes and looking at your legs and, you know, actually loving on your body, which is it's something we women just not very good at. You know, we tend to always go, oh, if only my bum wasn't so big or, oh, if only this wasn't there and that wasn't there and whatever, you know. Um, so it's really about tuning inward and saying, you know, how do I nurture myself? How do I look after myself? And it's, it is a choice. So I choose to eat well. I choose, you know, do these things that can provide for my body. And, you know, when it comes to infertility, look at it as your body is your house. And how can you make that house as warm and welcoming for that baby to move into? You know, if it's ridden with toxins, no baby's going to want to move in there. You know, it's got to be warm. It's got to be cozy. It's got to be a loving space. If you've constantly got all this negative chitter chatter in your brain, I don't want to move in there. You know, it's like nasty stuff that you're telling yourself baby's not going to want to move in there, you know? So really visualizing it as that, as this home that you're creating and, and how you can make it as warm and welcoming as possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. great advice. Um, easier said than done. It takes, yeah. a there, as we both know, but um, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, it's not the be all and end all of getting pregnant. Cause I know a lot of people get like frustrated when they're told that, but um, as we said before, it is, it's life-changing. It, it, when you become pregnant um, or if you are going through a sur surrogacy or even if you're going through adoption or even if you choose not to have a child, those anxieties of all those situations are, are going to almost like get bigger, right? And if you can just control that now, why you don't actually have any of those worries in your life, you're just gonna, you're gonna be just a little bit more happier with the outcome, no matter which way it goes. Um, let my listeners know where they can yeah. find you. So head on over to endoempower.com. 
And um, yeah, you can check out, we've got a presentation all around endometriosis and how we address it naturally. So it gives you a lot more depth. And yeah, if you know, to support women in a group scenario, so we can all be there for each other, sharing the journey. And yeah, so we're opening that up very shortly. So yeah, if you feel called to, so we literally go through my rich technique, which you can find out more on my website. But yeah, that's the process. And it's amazing. It's really transformative for a lot of women. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And um, I love how, you know, it's not just infertility, it's endometriosis. And um, I think that is, its own set of problems. And I think your technique um, is going to change many lives. So thank you so much for coming on. All the links are going to be in the show notes. And next time I come to New Zealand, we're getting a cup of coffee or maybe a drink. It depends on how. We yeah, finish. that would be lovely. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you so much. A few more things before you go. You can find all the links to anything talked about on this podcast, especially how to connect with our special guest. While you're down there, make sure you leave us a rating or a review. It would totally help this podcast out. If you would like to connect with me more, head over to the website. It's mymindfulme.com. There's a free membership over on the website where you can connect with like-minded people and really push your journey forward. We also have all the videos that I do up there for you and uh, the newsletter goes out about two, three times a month. And we also have pre-registration for the Fertility Reconnect course. It's a six-week course to help you really dial in what's going on in your body, what foods you can and cannot eat, and we're going to dig deep into the mental blocks you're having and how it could be affecting your fertility health. So that's it. Thank you once again for joining us on the Infertile Diagnosis and have a beautiful day.